guys, today I'm going to read chapter 10 of the Shakespeare's Cry. So here I go. The room where the hired men and princesses slept was stifling. I longed to open the window and let in a bit of breeze, but I knew that I would be chastised if I did, for the others were, to a man, convinced that the, the night air was filled with ill humors. Jack was snoring with a sound like a dying pig, and I gave him a shell with my foot. He snarled turned over on his side and started in snoring once more, though at a more bearable level. With a sigh, I sank down upon my wool mattress. Just as I was drifting off, I heard Sam whisper close to my ear, I've got it figured out. What? I murmured. I said, I've figured it out. Figured what out? I said crossly. Why, Sir Bruce's Puffy sleeps in the stable and uses it for a cheering room. Oh, well, are you going to tell me so I can go to sleep? It's because he put his mouth even nearer to my ear. He's a sheep. I gave out with something that was half a gasp half burst of laughter and muffled it in my hands you're daft no no think about it we never suspected julia was a girl did we but looking back on it it was easy to recall things she did things that he said she said that if we added them up would have given her away well, this time I'm adding them up in advance. One, he doesn't sleep in the same room with us. Two, he doesn't change in the same room with us. Three, he's as weak as water. He couldn't even lift one end of his arm of the arm's trunk. Where am I? Four. Four. When he relieves himself, he always goes far back into the woods out of everyone's sight. Five, he didn't take part in scuffle yesterday afternoon, you notice. Nor did you, I pointed out. As for how he relieves himself, I go out of sight myself. Uh, I like a bit of privacy. All right, said Sam defensively. Explain the stable business then. I don't can. I don't can. Perhaps as one of those whites who talks with horses. Ask him, why don't you? And let me sleep. There was a silence for a time and then Sam muttered. I don't care what you say. I think Saul is Sally. A moment later, he added, Ow! You've no call to hit me. Sam was like a small dog who, once he had his teeth into something, will not let go no no matter what. At least twice a day over the next week or so, 
he came up with some bit of evidence that supposedly added weight to Sal Palvi's theory. Most were pure foolishness, ranging from the fact that Sal Palvi scrubbed his teeth with salt rather than just a rag dipped in wine like everyone else. So, to the way he often sat with his legs crossed. Though I scoffed at Sam's fancies to his face, I could, I could not help regarding Sal Palvi in a new light, weighing his words and actions as an actor does those of his character, looking for the meaning that lies behind them. There was no denying that his matter, uh, manner was rather effeminate at times, but that was hardly su- surprising, considering that it was even daily lessons in how apparently impressive impersonate a girl. I myself had grown so used to wearing a dress that occasionally I found myself reaching down to lift a hem that wasn't there. Besides, passing oneself off as another gender upon the stage was quite a different matter from keeping the pretense up all day, every day. On the other hand, Sal Palvi had proven himself a master of deception. Whenever one of the sharers was about, he was the very picture of a willing, eager worker. But when we apprentices were alone with any sort of task, sort of task, from washing the muddy carewares to grooming the horses and airing out the mattresses, he always contrived to avoid actually contriving anything. At the Blackfriars, he said, he, we were taught how to act, not how to clean things. Yes, said Sam with a meaningful glance at the sword Sal Palvi was supposed to be polishing. I can see that. You know which. When we return, I believe we'd be wise to apply, apply for a position at Blackfriars. It sounds as though it bears a striking resemblance to the land of Cockenage. Cockenage was, I had learned, a familiar fancy among Londoners, a mythical land of idleness and luxury. I made no reply, though I knew well enough that he was jesting I found something amusing of appealing in the notion of leaving the Chamberlain's men. To Saul Palvi's credit, when it came to studying for his roles, he applied himself more astucely than any of us. I thought myself an early riser, yet often I emerged from our room at some inn soon after sunrise to find Sal Palvi pacing about the card yard, reciting his lines under his breath and practicing over and over the appropriate gestures to go with them.
He also worked harder than most at keeping himself and his attire clean and tidy. He bathed whenever the opportunity presented itself, in private, of course, paying from his own purse the two or three pence innkeeper's custom uh, customingly chain charged for such services. Naturally, Sam pointed to these habits as further indicators of the of female nature. We were working our way northward now, traveling as quickly as we might, and stopping at the smallest and shabbiest inns to conserve our dwindling funds. Lodging of any sort of brew, increasingly scarce, and one night, finding ourselves between towns, then, when darkness fell, we stopped alongside the road and spread our mattresses out upon canvas sheets beneath the careware. Though I welcomed the chance to sleep in the open air, some of the other players gripped about it, most notably Ned Shakespeare. I had noticed that he was not cherry with his complaints at any time. The meals we ate were never his taste. He grumbled over the fact that, though he was the famous playwright's brother, he must make the journey on foot. Then, when the sun shone, he railed against the heat. Then it rained, as it did most daily. He cursed the damp. It was a pity we were not farmers. Had we been, we could have put to use all the earth we we turned up with the wheels of our carewares. And we were growing crops. We might have welcomed the rain that made the roads into the, a morass of mud. Our definition of a good day became a day when the carewares bogged down no more than a half dozen times. Sometimes the sharers would drag the wagons free by tying extra ropes to them and adding the pull, pulling power of their mounts to that of the draft horses. Other times, we, uh, other times, we apprentices had hired men, ha- and hired men had to play the parts of so many atlases, taking onto our shoulders not the weight of whole world, but that of the wagon, which sometimes seems nearly as great. After one such dismal day, we stopped at an inn outside Garantham, and several of the company paid for privilege of a bath. 
Sam and I contented ourselves with scrubbing our clothing and shoes in the horse trough. When Sal Palvi crossed the party yard from the table, the stable, to like his turn into the bathhouse, Sam slided up next to me and announced gleefully, I have a plan that will reveal the truth once and for all. The truth? I echoed. About what? But whether it's Sal or Sa- it's Sal or Sally, you don't. Sam, I said with a sigh, you always, you must you always be harping on that same string. Ah, witch, you know you're consumed with curiosity about it. Nay, I'm not. Truly, he nudged me with his elbow. Come, come, let the truth and shame the devil. You admit it, surely, there, that he there's something suspicious about the boy, if he is indeed a boy. Well, I, perhaps a bit, but, right, so let's go us find out what it is. So saying, he seized my shirt sleeve with one slopping hand and pulled me across the inn yard. Where are you taking me? I demanded. Whist! Just over here. He led me to an inn, a clove, next to the bathhouse where firewood was stacked. In growing dusk, I could see the narrow shaft of light issuing from between the boards of the bathhouse and laying a yellow ribbon across a rough bark of logs. I discovered this earlier when Mr. Phillips sent me to fetch firewood, Sam whispered. He knelt atop the woodpile and pressed his face to the crack on the wall. Stop it, you sot, he I said, and tugged at the back of his shirt, though not all incessantly, I admit. Some part of me, a part I did not much care to acknowledge, wanted to know if there was anything to Sam's theory. Sam whispered from the side of his mouth without talking, taking his eye from the crack, I can see him. He's starting to strip down. There he goes the doublet, the breeches, the shirt, the hose. There was a pause, and Sam exclaimed softly, Gog's nouns! And without warning, jerked back away from the crack, nearly breaking my jaw with his pate, for I had leaned up too close behind to us to hear him. I could not see his face well in fading light, but enough to read astonishment upon it. What is it? I demanded, still holding my jaw. Sam slowly shook his head. See for yourself, he said, and yielded his place to me. Handsomely, I, feeling uncomfortably like a fellow who peeped at Lady Godiva, was struck blind for it. I put my eye to the crack. The room was lightened by a candle I could not see. Probably it was in the, on the wall against which I had learned. Leaned. 
In the center of the room was a wooden tub, like a half barrel, and saw Pelvi, naked as a nail, was just stepping into it. His profile was to me, and I could see well enough that his appendages were appropriate to a boy. I was about to turn to Sal and say, Did I not tell you so? But then saw Pelvi shift, shifted position so that he, his back was to me, and I saw that it had startled Sam so. A series of long, liv- livid scars or welts descended his back like a ladder and continued across his buttocks and down the backs of his thighs. And the sort of marks left me canning. I, I knew the pattern well and for my own frame had been similarly decorated often enough by Dr. Bright's walking stick, and I had spiraled some valuable medicine or was caught flinching from the pantry, but my welts had always faded after a few days. I doubted that Sal had come by his so recently. For one thing, I could not imagine anyone in our company giving such a canning to apprentice. For another, these tracks did not look fresh, as they looked rather like permanent record of punishments long of punishments long past. I could only speculate about how severe the beatings must have been to have blistered the skin in such a manner and how painful. Feeling suddenly queasy, I stepped back from the peephole and nearly lost my balance. Did you see it? Sam asked in a soft, subdued voice. I, I replied, and I wouldn't, and I would, I had not, and I would, I had not. And who do you suppose might have given him such a smoking? I shook my head, unable to imagine. You'll have to ask him that, I said, knowing even that Sam, with his rash tongue, could find that difficult to do.